Just so you know. Yeah, but it's like five bucks a year. It's not anything. It's not expensive at all. No, domain names are cheap. Usually, unless you have, you know, you share the same domain with somebody that actually wants to use theirs to make money or something close, you know. Um, but no, Pastor Josh Hawkins was not taken, so it was like five dollars. I needed some place to put my, you know, the stuff that we do like this. I used to put it on the youth website, and now I'm not the youth pastor anymore, so they kicked me off. So I had to just find another one, and I figured, why not? We'll just do that. So it's easy for people to remember, I hope. But, um, yeah, that's beside the point. The point is, yeah, if you want to hear this again, or and I always put my notes up there. So um, it just, yeah. So you can study deeper into the Word of God. We are going to 2 Peter chapter 2, I believe. That's correct, right? I was kind of mad when I, I read second, the last few verses of 2 Peter chapter 1 that Don hogged all the good verses. Because, man, that's powerful. I almost was like, I'm going to go back and teach those because I just really you know, feel like doing that. There's some powerful stuff in the last half of Second Peter chapter one, but there's some good stuff here tonight. So, um, yeah, I did go back and study it out just because I read it and went, "Wow, yeah, that's good stuff." But anyway, so okay, let's open up to that scripture and I will read it real quick. We will probably get through verse. I'm going to try to get through verse 10. I don't know if we'll get that far or not. And for those of you that have been in a class with me before, you know that's probably not going to happen. Right? I don't move quick, you know? Um, there's a lot of people out there that talk about, like, uh, you know, read, reading through the Bible in a year and that kind of thing. And there's real value to that. I don't you know, that's, that's awesome. Go ahead, read through the Bible in a year. It is going to be really good for you. But I am never able to do that. Because I get a couple sentences in, and I'm like, hold on. I'm not, I can't continue to read, you know, uh, when I need to know what that meant. You know what I mean? Like, i got to drill down on that statement. What does that mean? And so then I spend the next 20, 30 minutes really studying the one sentence in the first verse I was supposed to read for my reading for that day, and I never get through. So I just quit trying years ago to read through the whole Bible in a year. It just doesn't work for me. If it works for you, Pastor Barry does it almost every year, I think. And that's awesome. It doesn't work for me. I'm just, yeah. I browse among the lilies. Okay, that's just me. I've been doing, well, I've been, I've been, we switched gears in my master's commission class that I'm doing because we only had a few weeks left and I really wanted to mess with their heads so we decided to study Song of Solomon. You can't date? Let's study Song of Solomon together. Um, 
but I've been using uh, that's a, that uh, he browses among the lilies. That's a Song of Solomon phrase that I've been thinking about. So, anyway, okay. So I'm going to read for you verses one through ten, and then we'll dive in. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Excuse me. For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, parentheses, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then, end of parent, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Okay. Yes. Everybody okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love your word. As a teacher of your word, this portion of scripture is particularly frightening. Lord, I pray that you would enable me, give me the grace, give me the grace to be a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I ask you for that anointing. I ask you for that grace. I ask you to give me the ability to rightly divide the words that are here. And Lord, I pray for our, all of our hearts, that you would open our hearts, that you would soften our hearts, that you would make us ready to receive the living word of God planted inside of us to grow to righteousness, to guard us from falsehood, to guard us from false teaching, to warn us of judgment that come to those that are foolish with the word of God and, and foolishly ignore that which should be honored and lifted up. Lord, I pray that we would hear the warnings, that we would receive the promises, and Lord, that we would be fed from your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, there's, there's portions of scripture that are for lack of a better word, and I actually really like this word, delicious. One of my favorite 
quotes is from a guy named St. John of the Cross. Anybody heard of him? St. John of the Cross was a, a, a monk. He was a, a mystic and a passionate follower of Jesus from several hundred years ago. And he wrote a book called The Dark Night of the Soul, which I would recommend to anyone. It's not necessarily an easy read, but it is worthwhile. Um, and he said that he had had experiences with Jesus that were so delicious that it made him blush merely to think of them. I want some of that. Right? And so there are verses in this book which you, which when you read them, like the last half of, of the first chapter of this book, I read it and was just delighted instantly. Just delight was awakened in my heart. I was like, ooh, yeah. That's good, you know what I mean? Is I want to read it again, and you go back and read it again. Or Romans chapter 8, which is just a mountain range of glory. You read it, and it's just like punch, 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 you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, oh, ah. You know, I, honestly, I could probably teach Romans chapter 8 for about a year. There's just that much stuff in there. I don't know how the Holy Spirit was really just inspiring Paul big time in that moment. And it's just like, pop. Not that any, I mean, all of, all of it's completely inspired, but it's just like this moment where Paul gets on this jaunt with all of this glorious truth, and it's just like, pow, explosion. It's been, Romans 8 has been called the greatest chapter of the greatest book in, in the Bible, and there's portions of Scripture that are like that, and I love those. I'll spend years in those. But then there's portions of Scripture which are uh, painful, and jarring and disturbing and they and and you know aren't necessarily fun to read and my challenge to you and to myself is to spend as much or more time in those scriptures than you do in the ones that you know make you go yeah because there's a reason why and and this particular portion of scripture when i read it was just like oh bless you know what I mean? Like, man, that's, that's, that's hard. That's, that's difficult, and that hurts a little bit to read this. Um, and so that's why I was, I was grateful, to, you know, to get to spend some time with this and preparing to be with you, that the Lord, you know, enforced my time in this particular part of Scripture because it's those difficult places. When Jesus is offending me, I'm probably where I need to be. I really believe that. And I've said that a couple times, but I just, I believe that. I do. When, when I'm running into things in Christ, in the Word, that make my flesh go, ah, no, gross. When that happens, that's probably exactly where I need to be because what's going on there is my flesh is being nailed to the cross. That's what's happening. My flesh is being killed. And I need that. I don't know about you guys, but I need that. I, I need the power of the word of God to mortify my flesh. That's what I need. I need the Lord to come along and go and, you know, and not talk to me about the places where I'm doing good. I need him to zero in on my rough spots and say, I'm going to deal with this right here. And I, I want the word of God to bring me both delight and discomfort. And I want to be grateful for both. Does that make sense? The Word of God should be delicious, but it should also be difficult. It should be hard. It should hurt a little bit. 
We studied in our in our pastor's prayer time this morning. Pastor Frank Tallarico brought uh, brought John 15, which says that the vine that bears fruit is the one the Lord prunes. That's not you know I'm bearing fruit here, God. What are you pruning me for, right? I'm doing good. And the Lord says, I want to make you even better. I'd rather be pruned than cut off and thrown in the fire, amen? So you'd be grateful when the pruning shears come near. Don't be like, not again, right? Okay, just say, okay, all right, here we go, Lord. Lean in. Let him do what he wants to do. It's worth it. I promise you it's worth it. And sometimes that, I mean, pruning is never comfortable. If it's comfortable, it's probably not pruning. So I say all that because this this portion of Scripture that we're embarking on right now is a little bit of, it's a pruning thing. And maybe it's just for me, but I, I read this and this is a scary thing. I, I, I kind of like it when God is scary. You know what I mean? When Jesus says, one of my favorite ones, is when Jesus says, there will be those who will come to me on the day of judgment and say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons and prophesy and heal the sick? You know, Did we not do those things in your name? And Jesus looks at him and says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. That is a scary verse. I mean, I would not mind having that resume. Right? You know, I go up, you know, I'm, I'm walking, and I'm going into some church somewhere, and giving them my resume. I want to be a pastor here. You want to know why? Because I prophesied, and I cast out demon, and I healed the sick. You know what I mean? And I think most churches would be like, okay, let's do this. Jesus looks right at that guy. And says, depart from me, worker of iniquity, I, bear, I didn't know you. Oh my goodness. Scary Jesus right there. Right? I mean, so that's, it just brings us to our knees even quicker. And I, I want that. I, I really do. And I think we should crave it. It's, I love the delightful things about Jesus. And I will revel in them forever. But we need to come to those places that are difficult. So... That's, the, that's my preamble. That's not in this part of Scripture, but I wanted to give it to you. So, but, all right, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. This is not a comfortable sentence. He doesn't say there might be. He doesn't say there could be. He doesn't say... He doesn't say, watch out for false teachers. He says, there will be false teachers among you. Will be. He just makes that bald statement. And he has, he's on good, solid ground to say that. Because Jesus promised the same thing. Matthew 24, 5. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. Matthew 24, 24. False Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Okay. Jesus says, the love of many will grow cold. The Apostle Paul said that in the last days, people would gather to themselves teachers You know, they'll have itching ears and they'll gather to themselves teachers that just make them feel good about themselves. 
This is going to happen. The church at every moment of its life has had false teachers in its midst. That's, that's, that's reality. We need to be aware of that. And we need to know how to watch out for it. And in the next few verses, Peter begins to give us some of the signs we need to watch for that will mark a false teacher. Okay? He said, but he's, 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 uh, we're told this so that we can pay attention and run after the truth. Now, there are ministries out there who make it their mission to just tell everybody who the false teachers are all the time. I, that is not what Peter is saying here, and those people really bug me. They just bug me. First of all, I don't agree with most of the things that they end up saying. I just don't. But there are ministries out there that just run around, well, they're a false teacher, and they're a false teacher, and they're a false teacher. And that's all they say. They don't actually teach the word. They just gather and tell who's not. Well, come on, guys, you're messing it up. That's not how things are supposed to work. Ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ should be ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's one thing to kind of, when something comes up, you know, in the, that, they, that they need to deal with directly, absolutely. If there's a pastor and a false teacher rises up in their congregation, he should know it, he should call it out, and he should t- tell his people to get away from it. But that is just in the interest of being pastoral and helping his people to grow. It's not in the interest of doing a false teacher hunting, which is not something Christ wants us to do. So I want to put that caveat out there right now. I don't want you to take this list out and, and go headhunting for false teachers. That's not why he's giving us this. All he's saying is they're going to be out there. You're going to run into them. And here's how you know who they are. So when someone begins to teach something and you're near, you have a filter to run them through. Does this make sense to everybody? Okay. Uh, one of the things that I've always uh, found interesting, do you, you know what the job of the Secret Service is? They have two jobs. Anybody know? One job we know, right? Protect the President of the United States. Do you know what their other job is? They look for counterfeit money. They're protecting the pictures of dead presidents as well. I don't know why. I don't know. I don't really. I don't know how those two jobs are related. I really don't. But those are the two jobs of the Secret Service. They go after counterfeiters and they protect the president of the United States. Those things don't really seem like they go together, but that's the way it is. And one of the things that they do, they don't spend hours and hours looking at all the ways that the dollar has been counterfeited in the past. They don't do that. The way they prepare themselves to find counterfeit money is they study the real thing for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. They go after the real dollars so that they know exactly, they know every detail of what the real thing looks like. So when the fake thing comes up, it is blatantly obvious what it is. This is how we are to be with false teachers. Let us get so ingrained in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that when something false comes out, we're going, that what? No, no. Let's get so familiar, so brought in to the real thing, to the truth, to the delightfulness and the difficulty of Scripture. Let's get so wrapped up in it 
and so familiar with it that when, when the enemy begins to speak, when something just slightly off comes along, that alarm bells are going off in our head because that's not it. The Apostle Paul said, if anybody comes to you, even an angel of light comes to you and begins to preach to you another gospel other than the one that we preach to you, they are false teachers and don't listen to them. He said, this is the truth. I'm giving you the whole picture. I'm giving you the full thing. If anybody comes along and says they have more, or that, I, or that the, the gospel that I preached to you is wrong, they are off and you shouldn't listen to them. But you can't know that unless you are really grounded in what's actually true. We've got to spend the time in the scripture and really learn how to study the scripture so that when falsehood arises, and in these last days it's going to arise more and more and more, that we're, it just, it has no ability to grab hold of us because we are full of the truth. Does that make sense? We've got to run after that. Second Peter 2, 19, we also, oh, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 19. He's kind of continuing after, you know, the, what he, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, he said. This is chapter 1, verse 19, not chapter 2, verse 19. I don't know why I wrote that wrong in my notes, but I did. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. You will do well to pay attention to it as to light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. When light is filling all of us, darkness can find no place. And that's what we're after. He says, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Okay, there's a couple things. First of all, when he says uh, secretly bring in, it says here, the, the Greek here kind of looks like it, it'll be led in alongside the others. So most false teachers aren't going to get up and immediately teach something false, like right out of the gate. Most false teachers are going to bring truth and then shade it. And they might even be real orthodox on a few points. You know, there's some things that they'll carry that are going to be the truth. But there's, there'll be some, there'll be a shade off somewhere. One of the things that I try and do when I, when I tell people, you know, about a, uh, a teacher or a book or a writing is I will say to them, you know, I like this guy for this. Okay. Because there are people that I will, you know, run into, you know, teachers, preachers, pastors, whatever, that I really love how they think about and how they preach certain realities of scripture. But then there's other stuff in there that I'm like, eh, you know, and I try and warn people. If I know of a teacher like, you know, that, that there's one or two things in there that I would, you know, red flag, red flag. I wouldn't really listen to him when it comes to this issue. But this issue he's on. And that happens with everybody. There's probably, I, there's probably something in that I teach that I'm not quite right on. Who knows? I hope not. I'm trying. I promise. But the, that's the way false teachers will teach. They'll teach, 
and it'll be really good. And you'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, the third or fourth time you hear them, they're going to say something, you're going to go, hmm. And then the next time, it's going to be even more off, and the next time, it's going to be even more off. I have some friends who have gotten off into a sect that is just weird. Just weird. They really love Jesus, and they're actually doing great work for him, but they have some bonkers ideas that I don't know. I don't know. And I know these people. They love the Word of God, and they love Jesus, and they love a lot of the things that I love. But they got off just by a, a fraction, and then they kept getting a little more off and a little more off, a little more off, till now, there's almost nothing that I can agree with them on. You know, that's where it begins. It's the whole thing like, you know, if we were on a rocket ship going towards the moon, and if we were only, you know, just two degrees off, we would miss the moon entirely. Because... Two degrees over long distance becomes a complete misdirection. And he says, they, they bring in these, these destructive heresies right alongside things that are actually true. So you've got to listen to everything somebody says. They sound right until they take the little jaunt to the right or to the left. These heresies are heresies that bring destruction. That's why they're called destructive heresies. And we're going to talk a little bit about what the kind of destruction they bring later on. But the word of God brings life and truth and, and, and power, and heresies bring destruction. The word of God brings righteousness and creates the fruit of the character of Christ coming up out of us, and heresies are going to bring the opposite of that. Jesus said, by your, the fruit you should know them. You know, sometimes it takes a while. It's the whole thing of the wheat and the tares, you know. He said they grow up together because early on they look the same. It's only when they actually begin to have fruit to them that you can tell, oh, no, that's not, that's not the right thing. So it says the language alludes, oh, the language alludes to teachings that create sects or parties. Okay, so the word heresies, it talks, it means what we understand, which is, it's, it's, it's a, a false, false teaching. teaching. But, but the, the particular word being used here also refers to, it creates a party spirit in the church. You know what I'm talking about? It creates like a separate group, but we're just a little bit better than everybody else because we believe we have this and they don't know about that. Anytime that begins to come in, anytime a teaching comes in, and people begin to say to them, and, and people begin to get puffed up in their knowledge and say like, well, yeah, but they don't really know the whole picture. That's probably some false teaching in there. Um, divisions in the church that are based on small but real shifts from orthodoxy. That's, if there are people in your church that are suddenly acting and talking like they know something more than everybody else, that's a warning sign. When the, unity of the body, when the unity of the body is being warred against, it is not the activity of the Holy Spirit. You follow me? The Holy Spirit is our unity. 
Well, Jesus is our unity, but the Holy Spirit maintains our unity. He's the spirit of peace. And he, he will join us together. And when there is something that is causing a, a, a shift, really look at it. Really look at it. So they will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Okay? This is the essence of what heresy is. Orthodoxy is about Jesus Christ. And I think I told you guys one time about the picture the Lord gave me of Jesus standing in the middle of a table and there were, okay? But uh, this, is, this is that picture again. Because the, these friends of mine that got off like that, I went to the Lord and said, what happened? Because they, I know them. You know, we... You know, one of these guys, I grew up with this guy. We went to the same Sunday school classes. They went to an Assemblies of God college. How, what happened? You know, now they're off completely in some weird la-la land that I don't even just begin to understand where it's coming from. I'm just like, what happened, Lord? And he showed me this picture of a big table, a big round table. And it was like the, uh, you know, like the uh, Wheel of Fortune wheel, Okay. It had all these little slivers come, you know, the like pieces of the pie, you know, cut all the way around it. And each one had a doctrine, a, a, a scriptural reality written on it. So one said grace, and one said truth, and one said judgment, and one said, okay? And it kind of went the gamut, you know? And like grace was opposite of judgment. But right in the center... Jesus was standing where they all converged and where they all met. And he was the one that was keeping the balance of all those things. Because those things are a part of him. He's the important thing. These, these realities that are great, they are nothing when separated from who Jesus is. And what the Lord said to me was, once you begin to focus on one of the pieces of the pie and not on me, the rest of the table gets distorted. When you're looking at Jesus, then there's a healthy balance of all of these realities all the way around. But when you begin to focus on one that's on this side of the table, boy, that stuff on the opposite side of the table looks really small, almost insignificant. And so when we begin to focus on one doctrine or one reality and it takes away from our love of Jesus himself, we have begun to worship the word and not the Lord. And that's not okay. And that's what happened with this particular group that I'm talking about. They began to focus on this one particular teaching, this one particular reality in Christ. I think about the grace movement right now. There, I want you to know, there are some people that would call themselves the grace movement who are in complete orthodoxy. But there are other people that would call themselves the grace movement that are bonkers, crazy, off the, like, what? Okay? So please be careful with them. But grace is a reality that flows from Christ. It's a biblical reality. And I was there for some of the beginnings of the grace movement, and I was cheering it on because I'm going, thank you for bringing an understanding of grace back to the church. Grace versus law. This is a huge deal. I want to see this. I want to see this expounded. I want to see it lifted up. I want the church to see again 
that we cannot be made righteous by the law. Because that's what the scripture teaches. But that does not mean we can treat our grace as license and we can walk right off the reservation and have no care of whether or not we're becoming anything more like Christ. That cannot happen. And when that happens, what you've done is you've taken your eyes off Jesus and you've put it on just the grace sliver. And that's all you care about now. You're worshiping this and not him from whom this reality flows. We've got to get our attention back on Jesus himself. Because Jesus is the king, the provider, the, the fountainhead of grace. But he is also the judge who will sit on the great white throne. But ladies and gentlemen, we can't get our focus on that either. One of my favorite, I think it's Spurgeon. No, it's not. Doesn't matter. But a great quote. <laughs> it's, it's from way earlier than that. I think it might be Tertullian or something like that. Said that Jesus was crucified between two thieves. And so faith is now being crucified between two thieves. One is called license and the other one is called legalism. But the gospel is in the middle. Do you see? We've got to keep, and that's just one of the realities that we can get off on. There's so many others, okay? There's people that are so, so full of, I just want to know more about the end times. What about your neighbor that really needs Jesus that you haven't talked to? Okay, I, I love the end times. We can have a long eschatological conversation, and I'll have a great time with you. But, that is, but if that's all you think about, all you study, all that you care about, and you're not looking at Jesus himself, do you know what the name of the book of Revelation is? The revelation of Jesus Christ. So what's the book about? Yeah, wake up. It's about him. It's not about the Antichrist or the seven years or when the rapture is going to be. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about Jesus. And we need to see, and it shows us the full picture of who the Son of God is. That's why we study the book of Revelation. That's why we study end times, is because we want to see the glory of Christ. And I've, I'm off on a tangent, but it's important to me. Any of these things that we kind of get just wrapped up around, that aren't Christ, we have gotten off. Keep our attention on him and the fullness of his glory and all of the aspects of his being. Because they're all equally worthy. That's what it looks like to deny the master that bought them. And anybody that stays on one tangent for long enough is going to get to the place where they're denying him in one way or another. Now back then, he was talking about a bunch of different things. There was one group that was denying that Jesus was God. There was another group that was denying that Jesus was human. Guess what? He was both. Get over it. It's, it's a mystery. Just wave the flag. Mystery, I give up. I'm surrendering. I'm put, I don't know how you're 100% God and 100% man at the same time. I don't understand it. I'm just going to bow. And that's where you need to be. Right there. There's so many things in God. This fight the church has been having over the sovereignty of God and the freedom of the will of man. Guess what? It's both. Wave the flag of mystery and bow down before Jesus. Sorry, that's the way it is. That's the clear teaching of Scripture. They sit right next to each other in Scripture, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. It's just real. 
don't get off on one and forget the other, but don't, you know, you just, just live. Um, when he says the master, there's some disagreement among scholars, but whether he's talking about Jesus or the father, the point it doesn't matter. Um, but this is one verse that people use uh, when they're talking, when they argue against um, what people outside of Calvinism like to call once saved, always saved. Okay? Calvinists would call it perseverance of the saints. Okay? Because it says they're denying the master who bought them. That means they were once saved and now they're denying him. That's, I don't think you can build a doctrine on this little half of a verse. So I just wanted to make you aware. There's a lot of other better verses that talk towards that point. The point is that these heresies eventually lead people away from the faith, away from a focus on Jesus. And anything, any teaching that leads us away from a focus on Christ and him crucified is suspect. When Jesus is not the center of what we are teaching and what we are talking about, and the reason why we are talking about it, then it is probably, we really, we're wasting our time. So he says, they secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but that destruction means the final judgment or hell. Verse 2, and many will follow their sensuality. Matthew 24, 12, the love of many will grow cold. This is a scary statement of the Lord's. I want you to look around the room right now. Okay, look around. Now I want you to take, if you were looking at this room and you were saying, many of the people in this room, okay, how many people would that be? Okay? If you were saying many of the people in this room, how many people would that be? Okay. And those are the people that are, whose hearts are going to grow cold. It's that many. It's a large number. Jesus prophesied the love of many will grow cold. He wasn't kidding. Okay? That should drive us to keep ourselves hot. You and I, we are in danger of our love growing cold. And the minute we think we're not, we are the most vulnerable. Stay hot. Stay hot. Stay passionately in love with Jesus. Do what it takes to keep your heart in love with him. Do what it takes to keep yourself away from sin. Do what it takes. Jesus said, if your right hand leads you to sin, chop it off. Do what it takes to stay passionate, to stay alive, to stay in love. And any when you are walking along the road and when all of a sudden you find out, oh, I, I'm not as passionate about Jesus as I used to be. Okay, That's the Holy Spirit tapping you on the shoulder saying, come back to the fire. Come back to the fire. Okay? you got to do this. you got to awaken to it. And that is how it happens, by the way. Several years ago, and there's, I think it was 2008, okay? I was, uh, I was part-time here at the church. I was the discipleship director of the youth ministry at the time. I was teaching Sunday school classes, and I was leading worship. 
and running prayer and doing a few a bunch of other things. And I was working about 20, 25 hours a week here at the church. And I was selling insurance full time to make money. And uh, I was going along and was, I thought probably that if I stayed there long enough that I would kind of build myself a full-time job and, and you know, eventually I'd be able to quit the insurance world and, and do what the Lord had always called me to do, which is full-time ministry. And I was just kind of walking that path. That was my plan. And, and one, one day, day I remember it very distinctly. I'm sitting at my computer at work. I was doing a rather mindless task. Um, and I wasn't really thinking about anything. I wasn't praying. I wasn't whatever. And the voice of the Holy Spirit very loudly, very distinctly said to me, I want you to just quit youth ministry. Soon. Rattled me to the core. I mean, it was so loud on the inside of me that I could, it was almost audible. It wasn't audible, but it was that, it was that loud on the inside of me. I mean, it was loud. There was no question God was speaking to me. None. And I, it rattled me. In fact, the lady across the thing for me was like, are you okay? You are white as a ghost. Because I just, it just, what? That's not the plan. You know? It's not the plan, God. I, this is not what I was going to do. I was, you know, I have this, I'm on this track. And, I'm, you know, I'm headed towards a thing and I've worked really hard and, you know, and, and the Lord said, no, I, I, so I began to pray about that. What? Okay. You, you want me to do this? The nice thing was there was a, uh, a worship and prayer conference that was going to be here. That, that was a Friday that he spoke to me, and it began that night here at the church, and I was planning on attending it. And he said, I'm telling you this today so that you can really listen to me over the next few days at this conference because I'm going to confirm my word to you. And I said, okay. Well, all weekend long, these horrible idiots on the stage were reading my mail. They were just speaking right to me. The conference was all for me. I mean, it just was. It was just like there was nobody else in the room. Every speaker that I went to, right at me. And I actually avoided one of the speakers because that was what was happening the whole time he was preaching. And I went to somebody else's thing, and they did it too. And the Lord was just saying, I'm telling you the truth. And this is the picture the Lord gave me. He showed me my heart, and he showed me that the edges were frozen. That it was frost on the edges of my heart. The inside was still alive, but there was cold creeping in. And he said, I'm pulling you out so I can heat you up again because I have things for you down the road. And if you stay where you're at, your heart will freeze. I wasn't aware. I did not feel like that was happening to me. I didn't know that that was happening to me. I had no grid for that at all, that, that my heart was freezing over. I didn't know. Because that's how the enemy works. I mean, very subtly, very slowly, he will begin to just pull the heat out of you, and, and then all of a sudden you're frozen to death and you didn't even see it coming. That's, the enemy's really good at that. Okay? This, that's what happened to me. You know, but the Lord, thank, thank God that he spoke to me when he did. And so powerfully, I stepped out. God romanced my heart for a whole year where I wasn't doing any ministry at all. He was just pouring into me, giving me time with my wife and kids and 
just pouring into me and giving me rest and just teaching me stuff that I didn't even realize. Ministering to me on levels that I didn't know I needed ministry. I remember stepping away and just a couple weeks, like a week or, or two weeks after I stepped out, I turned to my wife and said, did you know that I was this miserable? I was miserable. I was not okay. There was, she said, yeah, I was waiting for you to figure it out. You've been miserable for a while, is what she said to me. I was just like, well, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> this is what happens. Many will follow false teachers, but it happens slowly. And they will follow their sensuality. It says their sensuality. This is another sign of false teaching is it leads to sensuality. The Greek word is better translated lasciviousness. Does anybody know that word? Lasciviousness. It means um, outrageous conduct, conduct shocking to public decency, wanton violence, wanton lewdness, violent spite which rejects restraint and indulges in lawless insolence. Okay? It is, it is a complete... Uh, Let's take all the walls down, get rid of all the rules, and just do whatever you want. Anybody that says to you, Jesus doesn't care about your behavior and is not interested in your character, that is a false teacher. And there are people in the quote-unquote grace movement right now that would tell you exactly that. Jesus doesn't care. He loves you. It doesn't matter. Do whatever you want. That's not true. I want to I back up just a hair. That reality, when I say it is not true that Jesus doesn't care what you do, it is really easy to take that statement and run to legalism. If you do that, you have done a disservice to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because hear this, our lives when led by the Holy Spirit look like wisdom and love. When our lives are led by the Holy Spirit and and walk in these two boundaries of wisdom and love, it looks like legalism. Absolutely it does. Because we're we're obeying the law and then some. And then some. We're going above and beyond. But we are not going above and beyond because we're afraid of God or because we're afraid that he won't accept us. When we're obeying the law in order to be accepted by God, we have walked away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have denied the cross and spit on the blood. The way the gospel works, it's not by following the law that we are accepted. Understand that. And the law does not make us righteous. It's about pursuing who Jesus is and loving him and saying, I want to be just like you. I want to, and I want to be in love with you. And, and letting that reality inside of us be the fire that shapes us, that molds us into the image of the Son of God. That's what happens. When the Holy Spirit is flowing through us, 
we will look like Christ going over and above the law. We will not be motivated by fear, but by joy. Hear that. That's huge. Christianity obeys the law because it's our delight to do so. Not because we're afraid that God won't accept us. Do you hear the difference? And yes, it is a tightrope walk. It is, but it is a walk we've been called to walk. We can't allow legalism to creep in, and we can't allow license to creep in. We've got to walk that middle walk between legalism and license and say, I'm after you, Jesus. We can talk about that a little bit more later, but... It says, because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. All right. I got to step back a minute again. Because the Holy Spirit said, right there. Is there a question about the legalism and license discussion that I just had a minute ago? Is there a process? Is somebody kind of getting hit by that right now? I'm interested in I just feel the Holy Spirit saying, pause. So we're going to pause. Is anybody willing? Yeah, John. Yes. Being conformed to the image of the Son of God. Those he foreknew, he predestined for what? To be transformed to the image of his son. That's what it's about. Transformed. So don't, what is it? Uh, I can't think of it right now. Somebody help me. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Where's that? Is that Romans 12? Quote it for me, Todd. Amen, buddy. I love you. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. One of the things that I used to say to the youth leaders all the time, guys, I'm not after behavior modification. I'm after human hearts being changed that leads to changed behavior. Okay, because that's a big deal, especially when you're, you know, trying to wrestle teenagers, you know, and keep them from doing stupid things. I, I'm not just after holding a ruler over their head and saying, bad, don't do that, and talking to them about behaviors that they shouldn't engage in, because that's fine for now. We may be able to keep them corralled in the moment, but if the character of Christ isn't being formed on the inside of them, as soon as the corral is gone, they're going to go wherever they want to go. We want to see their hearts transformed so that we don't need to put a fence around them. And they're going to keep running after Jesus no matter what. And yes, they're going to make some mistakes. Of course they are because they're young and stupid. They're going to make mistakes. 
It's just reality. But let's, let's look at what's going on in their heart. Let's look at what's going on on the inside. Are they in love with Jesus? Then we can nudge them to where they need to go. That's where it begins, and that's where it ends, because that's the point. Behavior is not the point. It's also not one of the things that I love to talk to people about, especially people who have one particular sin that they just can't get away from. I like to tell them, look, this thing that you're so focused on is the fruit, not the root. And I understand that that fruit is destructive and you don't want it as a part of your life. And yes, lop it off and throw it away. We don't want this in your life. This behavior is the fruit, but it's being manifested from a heart reality that is not built around Christ. And so we have to track that fruit back, the manifestation back to its cause. And we have to deal with the cause. Where is it? What is going on in your heart that is being manifested as this reality, as this you know, behavior, right? Does this make sense to everybody? We've got to figure that out. Well, we want the good fruit. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, there's more than one kind of seed being sprinkled on us. Okay, the word of God and then the enemy. That's why there's the, when Jesus says the seed goes in among the weeds, well, that's because the enemy's planted a whole lot of weeds there before the word of God ever came. The weeds have to be ripped out, and then the word of God can flourish. And until then, it's not possible for the word of God to be active in that part of who you are. When there's lies that are operating on the inside of us and producing fruit out of us, things that we believe that are not true, All of our behavior, whether you know it or not, whether you understand this or not, all behavior comes from belief. All of it. Everything you do is a, is a growth out of something you believe in your inner man. That's where it comes from. Realities that have taken root in your soul. And those realities that are, the, that are the word of God, the imperishable seed of the word of God, those realities, when, when they have taken root and have begun to grow, all of a sudden the character of Christ begins to manifest out of us. You know, then all of a sudden you're, you're saying nice things to that person you don't like very much. Wow, what happened? I'm serious. Has that ever happened to you? You caught yourself in a moment of goodness and you didn't realize, where did that come from? Right? You know, to, Ten years ago, I would not have said that, right? Okay, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. He is doing good. He's planting the Word, constantly taking the Word of God and planting it in your heart. And the more you open the Bible, you know, the more the Word of God's going in and being planted. And, 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 and it's rooting and it's growing and fruit is coming out. And it's all of a sudden, you're looking more like Jesus. Oh, you know, and it's really been in, in process for 3, 10, 20 years. But it feels all of a sudden to you because you didn't realize, oh, my goodness, look at that. Have you ever sat in a service like where when a, when a, when a, uh, a missionary is preaching and just wept? Right? And the Holy Spirit's just, you're like, Ooh. And people are like, what is wrong with you? I don't know. You know, it's just, this happened to me. There was a guy that was, he was teaching on Israel. 
And he was he was a Jewish man and uh, Messianic Jew, but he was in you know he's from Israel. He was teaching on the relationship between Israel and the church. And I was sobbing, weeping, just just a mess the whole time. And my wife is going, "What is wrong with you?" And then, <laughs> I just wiping my face. I blow my nose, and it was it was ugly. Now, I don't cry like that very often. I was a mess. And, and, and at the end, the guy comes walking over to me, and he goes, I've been watching you all night. And I was just like, I'm sorry. He goes, no, the Lord has set you as a watchman over Israel. And, and I just lost it, right? Just God had planted something in me that I didn't even know was there. And here it was being manifested. I didn't, wasn't even aware that the Holy Spirit was at that kind of work in my soul at the time. Well, the enemies were, can do the same thing where... You know, some lie takes root in your heart and all of a sudden it's manifesting in ways that you didn't even want. Where did that come from? Because you've caught yourself in bad moments too, right? Where all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, did I just say that? Oh, oh no, what did I just do? I did not mean to do that. Right? We do that all the time, right? I mean, I mean, hopefully not all the time, but it happens, right? Pay attention to those moments. Pay attention to those moments because what's happening is out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what's happening is the Holy Spirit's giving you a clue that there's something there that should be. Follow that back to where it began. Just ask the Holy Spirit, show me where this is coming from. And he'll take you back to something somebody said, something you read, something you watched, something you took in on purpose or on accident that has put it, lodged itself in the soil of your heart and is now manifesting something that does not look like Jesus. Okay, that's, this is how we work. When I say that we have to walk not under law, that's exactly what I mean. What God wants to do is change you on the inside so that your natural behavior looks like law-keeping even though you're not trying. Now, none of us are there yet. None of us. Some of us are closer than others. None of us are quite there yet. But that's the process. That's what Jesus wants to have happen in us. That we are conformed by the Word of God and the Spirit of God to look more and more like Jesus the longer we walk in him so that we don't even have to we don't even have to know the law at some point because we will be what did Jesus say in the old testament i will write the covenant on their hearts he's making us into a manifestation of the, of the covenant that he has given to us. And what the law does is it comes along and says, see this behavior that's coming out of you? That's not me. The law is a great ruler. It's a great measuring stick. But have you ever gotten a plant to grow by beating on it with a measuring stick? No. You know, I think about, uh, you know, in the summertime, my kids and I love to go to Cedar Point. I will probably go to Cedar Point five times this summer. It's just, we love it. It's just something we do together. It's a blast. We're going to buy a season pass and we're going to go. 
right? And we're going to have a great time. But there's, you go to the roller coasters, right? And there's this, like, you know, there's a measuring stick. So you have to be this tall to get in. Let me ask you a question. Does standing up next to that measuring stick make you any taller? No. Will it ever make you any taller? No. It won't. And that's all the law is ever supposed to do. Measure you and show you you don't measure up. That's all the law is for. That's all it's ever meant to do is to say, you're not tall enough to ride this route. That's its job. Its job is not to make you holy. It doesn't work. The law of God cannot make you holy. It cannot. Okay? I'm quoting directly from the book of Galatians. If I knew I was going to teach this tonight, I would have had that ready for you. But I'm quoting directly from the book of Galatians. The law of God, by the law, no man will be made righteous. That's the word of God. It's in Galatians. It's in Romans. It is there. The law of God cannot make you holy. So stop going to it to make you holy. All the law does is show you you're not there yet. Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God is what gifts righteousness to you. The activity of the Holy Spirit in our hearts releases the character of Jesus into us and through us. This morning, like I said, we were studying uh, John 15. Love that scripture. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. No branch that is in me can bear fruit. Now, I said this to you guys a few weeks, uh, several times ago. What is the fruit that he's talking about there? It is not souls being converted by you. So don't let a preacher tell you that because that's not what Jesus was talking about. When Jesus says, you're going to bear fruit, that does not mean that you're winning people to Christ. That is not what he's talking about. It's just not. Look at the context of the scripture. He is not referring to that. This is just not it. So anybody that tells you that, don't listen. That's not what it means. What it means is the character and the nature of Jesus Christ being born in you and out of you, which, by the way, once you look like Jesus, you're going to have a lot more, uh, you know, it's going to be easier for you to win people to Jesus when you do that. I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't want us to convert people. Absolutely he does. But that's not the fruit Jesus is talking about in that scripture. There's lots of other scriptures that he commands us to go out and preach to the gospel to all nations. There's no question about that. But in this scripture, he's talking about the character of Christ being formed in you. And here's what he says. If you want the character of Christ to be formed in you, if you want fruit, what you do is you burrow back and as deep and as wide into the vine as you possibly can, widen and deepen your connection with me, and fruit will come. He doesn't say, squeeze your branches and say, fruit. Right? Right? That's not what he says, but isn't that what we do? When we find unrighteousness in us, don't we do it? Stop it, stop it, stop it. We try and do it ourselves. That is the wrong way. It's the wrong way. We set up little tricks around ourselves to try and keep us from doing the, you know, like the, the thing, on, you know, the, you open the refrigerator door and there's that pig inside that's going, you know what I'm talking about? Like, okay, we jury rig our own pride just to like make us look more. That does not, that is not the gospel. First of all, that's not good news, okay? That's really bad news. But we do that all the time, don't we? When we see something in us that's a manifestation of unrighteousness and we see sin, Sinful behavior, sinful thoughts, sinful... What do we do? We, we take out the yardstick of the law and we start beating ourselves with it, right? 
You horrible Christian. Stop, stop, stop. It doesn't work, folks. It never has. It never will. It didn't work for Moses and the children of Israel. It doesn't work for us now. That was never what it was for. It's not the point of the law. The law was the schoolmaster that brought us to Christ, Paul says. It's the one that says, you need a savior. Hello. That's what the law does. And that's all that it's for. Wake up. The law is a great teacher to show you that you're not where you need to be. But it doesn't make you holy. Our connection to Jesus Christ makes us holy. Spending time in his word, gazing upon who he is. Have you ever sang a song like a country song and realized that all of a sudden you have a country accent? A southern draw? Come on now. I used to listen to a lot of British worship leaders, and then I would sing their songs, and all of a sudden I would have a British accent. I wasn't trying, but you know why? It's because that which you are focusing on and filling yourself with, without you even trying, you mimic. Have you ever met one of those people that looks at your lips while you're talking and is mouthing the words that you're saying while you're saying them? Doesn't that drive you crazy? They don't know they're doing that, by the way. They don't know. If they did, they would stop it. Okay? But we just do that naturally as human beings. Have you ever been, like, driving down the street and you look over here and all of a sudden you realize you're across the lane? Because that's what we do. Where our focus is, it turns who we are, all of who we are. When our focus is on the person and the nature of Jesus Christ, and we are pushing in him and saying, I want to be connected to him in every way, shape, and form that I possibly can, then fruit all over the place. Fruit exploding out of us. But not when we're going, I don't have enough fruit. Where's all my fruit? I need more fruit. I need to spend more time smacking myself in the head with a yardstick. No. Do you see the difference? Does it make sense? Do you see the places? I'm just going to pray because it's time to be done. I know we only got to verse 2, but the Lord just... It's not my fault. The Lord shut me down. Well, there you go. Good. I want to pray, and this is what I want to pray, because I believe that there's, I I believe the Holy Spirit is doing some things in some hearts right now. So let's just close our eyes and just open up our hearts to the Holy Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, I don't know why you parked me on this understanding. But I trust you. You know the hearts of every person in this room. So my prayer, Holy Spirit, is breathe right now. Breath of God, come and move through this room. And I pray that you would reveal every place, every place in us where we are attempting to become like Jesus through our own strength and our own ability. I pray that you would reveal every place in us where we are going to the law to try and make ourselves holy through our own ability. And I pray, Lord, that you would remove the lie of the enemy 
that keeps us from receiving the grace of God, which will make us like you, Jesus. Breathe on us tonight. Holy Spirit, I just ask you to release grace by faith in this room that will make us more like Jesus. Lord, I pray, Lord, I know, I know that discipleship is a supernatural process. Sanctification is a supernatural process. You are the one who is forming us. You are the one who is shaping us. You are the one at work in our hearts. We are not at work in our hearts. You are at work in our hearts. So Lord, I pray that we would take our hands off. I pray that we would say yes to you. Holy Spirit, right now I say yes to your move and your presence in this room. I pray that you would break the bondage of legalism in any heart. I pray that you would break the bondage of license in any heart. I pray that you would break, uh, that you would uproot the lies of the enemy that have taken root in our hearts, or that you would make them, make us aware of them so that we can watch you uproot lies, and Lord, that we would see, plant the truth in its place, so that instead of bearing fruit for the evil one, we would bear fruit for your holy name, for the glory of the Father. Lord, you are the one. We say yes with all of our hearts. We say, come Holy Spirit, flow like a river of life through this room and release the holiness of God. Lord, make us, form us into the image of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. I love you guys. Thank you. Hallelujah. Have a great night. Great job, John. Thank you. I know I got the first two. <laughs> That's fine.